It's a joy and a delight to be with you on this Lord's Day morning. And uh, let's just uh, pause for prayer before we, we begin. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Father in heaven, once again, it is a great joy for us as your people to gather as we have done this morning to proclaim the excellencies of our God and uh, to think about who you are, the great and the glorious God of heaven and earth, the one who has created all things. And you have done so for your own honor and for your own glory. But also we thank you that we have gathered like this because you have sent your only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, on a rescue mission. And he has come into this old, sinful, and broken world. And by his sacrificial death on the cross, that he has begun that gracious work to remedy that which the enemy has destroyed and that he has introduced that new creation in himself, having been raised from the dead, that he has become the firstborn among many brothers. So we thank you for that work that is ongoing that you are chasing the darkness with that message of the gospel, and that wherever that gospel of peace is preached, that men and women are rescued from the power of Satan, and they turn away from darkness into the light of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And we thank you that we ourselves have been the recipients of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We thank you for that grace that has reached down to guilty and worthy sinners like us. And so, as we continue to wait upon you this Lord's Day, we pray, dear Father, particularly for those among us who are not well and are struggling with uh, ill health, we pray for each one of them that they might know your gracious and your merciful hand upon them. Remember our sister Kelly, continue to lift her up before you that she might know your wonderful grace and your gracious hand upon her life. And remember our brother Aaron, who also continues to struggle with ill health, that he might know your favor and your grace to be upon him. Remember our brother Mike. We lift him up before you that he too might know God's favor that as he continues to battle pain in his body that you will intervene in a most gracious way that he will know relief, he will know healing and that he might know God's favor resting upon him. There are many others perhaps we have not been informed about who also 
may be still struggling with ill health, we pray for each one of them that they might know God's healing hand upon their lives. Gracious Father, we pray for ourselves as a, a congregation of your people here that you will bless our labors and grow this work that it will continue to proclaim that everlasting gospel of our Savior Jesus that in our own day we may be able to see a rich harvest of souls, men and women, boys and girls, that there will be no room in this place to hold the harvest. We pray, dear Father, there might be a real and a rich harvest of souls in these days. We pray that we ourselves might grow in our own personal holiness, in our devotion to Christ, that as we live our lives in a fallen world, people who do not know you may be able to see something of Christ in our lives. And even without a word, may they be attracted to our lives because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in our own hearts and lives. We pray, our Father, that you will meet with us this morning, especially now as we turn to the preaching of your word. We ask that the Holy Spirit himself will be pleased to lift your word out of its sacred pages and to make it a living reality in our own life and experience. So we ask you now to speak to us with the voice that wakes the dead. Let your people hear and may Jesus himself be honored and glorified. We ask in his precious and holy name. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 11, and we read from verse 1, and we end our reading at verse 13. <clears throat> Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. 
the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now we have been in the Lord's Prayer for quite a while now. I think that uh, probably this is like six months and uh, finally we are going to make progress today uh, and move away from the Lord's Prayer and begin to go into all the other things that Luke tells us in chapter 11. So there's a sense in which I'm excited today that uh, we are making that progress in the Gospel of Luke. However, uh, perhaps the best way to, you know, uh, give a summary of what we have so far learned in the Lord's Prayer uh, is by, first of all, just reminding us of what we have covered so far. And I think that there's no better way to remind ourselves of what we have done than to look briefly at some of the Old Testament uh, references that remind us of what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Now, first of all, if you have your hand in Luke, I want you to turn to Psalm and 23. Psalm 23. And you read with me the well-known words of this 3. Psalm 23 and verse 3, David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, he restores my soul. And there is that statement. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That God leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And if you can just turn a page over and you come to chapter 25, Psalm 25 and verse 11. 
And there the psalmist says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. For your name's sake, pardon my guilt. And then from the Psalms again, if you go to 106, and just read with me. It's going to be verse. Verse 8. <coughs> 106 and verse 8. Speaking of the children of Israel in the wilderness, the psalmist tells us there, yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. And then also, if you now can jump from there to Isaiah and chapter 48, And verse 9. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 9. The prophet Isaiah says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. And the thought that is very well established in the entire Bible is that God has a plan. And his plan is to magnify his name. His plan is to run history in such a way that at the end of the day, glory and honor and praise will be given to him. Now, if you really think about it, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples in what we call the Lord's Prayer. To pray for. When he says in that passage we have read in Luke chapter 11, hallowed be your name, that that is the basic, the overriding desire of the entire Bible. It is that God's name will be more and more magnified. That more and more people will recognize this glorious God and that they will turn away from worshipping themselves or worshipping anything else and begin to give to him the glory that is due his name. That we ourselves as we live in this world we will be spending more time in worshipping God 
in giving to him the estimation that is due to him because he is God who is creator. He is God who is our redeemer. That this is our basic desire as Christians is to see this broken world, this sinful and rebellious world will turn away from rebellion, turn away from sin, and, and, and just begin to worship God, begin to give God what truly befits him as creator, as redeemer, and as the one who rules in the universe. So, what we call the Lord's Prayer is basically a means in which God is working to reverse the order that we currently see in the world where men and women have put themselves first when it ought to be the other way around. God must be first. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us as his disciples that we should make this our prayer. We pray for God's glory. We pray for God's honor. And we pray that his kingdom in this way will continue to extend more and more peoples of this world will turn from whatever it is that they are doing and in the Lord Jesus Christ worship him, acknowledge him, respect him, esteem him highly and have that reverence and awe that he deserves. That's the plan of God. That's the will of God. And that is why we pray that it will be so. And God is using the means of prayer for us to bring to fruition what he in fact has desired from all of eternity. There's one very important verse. I don't want you to turn to it. Perhaps when you get home, you can read in Malachi and chapter 1. You will notice that this is exactly what the prophet Malachi says in chapter 1 and verse 11 and verse 12. It says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place, Incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. So that's God's intention, God's plan that his name is honored. So that there's a sense in which if you can ask yourself Sometimes we do. What sort of things should I be praying for and I can be sure that 
I am praying for something that is within God's will. Now, here is one. God to be honored and glorified. God would be acknowledged more and more of our fellow human beings will turn away from whatever it is that is right now mesmerizing them. That they will come and join us here and worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is something that you as a Christian should have as a primary or basic desire in your heart and life. This is what you should be praying for. If you keep a prayer list, that this should be number one. Pray that God's name would be hallowed. God's name would be honored. God's name would be respected. The name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will not just be a name that human beings use as a swear word. That this is the name of the thrice holy God. And we as his people are concerned that wherever we are, wherever human beings are found, they will turn away from whatever they are doing and give God the glory that is due to him. So if, in a sense, you think about the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice that it's, it's, it's a mission of evangelism. It's a mission of God working in this world to change people's hearts and lives so that they turn from themselves. They turn from idolatry. They turn from whatever it is that preoccupies them and they turn to the living and the true God. That's what we should be praying for. And then, secondly, we have already said we should be paying for God's gracious provision. And God's gracious provision for our physical needs, but also God's gracious provision for our spiritual needs. And the last time we were looking at this particular passage, we were considering that statement that... that uh, Phrase, lead us not into temptation. God will be working in our lives. God will be working in our hearts. That his grace will be so strong to prepare us that when we face temptation, we will be able to stand and give him glory. Now, that is the first P that we find in Luke chapter 11. It's the P which tells us about the pattern of the model of prayer. There is a second P, and that's what we'll be looking at now from verse 5. It's the, the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ employs, a short parable. And he puts it in the form of a question. And he's basically asking, 
what we would be familiar with as uh, human beings who live with our neighbors if uh, at some point you were listing expecting somebody and they turn up in the night and you don't have anything to put before them then you go to your neighbor and your neighbor knows you you know them and there's a history of the fact that you give things to each other and you say you go to him at midnight friend lend me three robes because I have received a ghost on a journey and I have nothing to set before him and says the point there that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving to us is first of all there is that sense of need that the person has there's a sense of need but secondly not only is there the sense of need the sense of need is in connection with somebody else rather than myself there's a need for this individual. And then thirdly, the confidence that my friend or my neighbor is going to meet my need. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ gives that short parable and he's basically trying to say, look, if you have an individual like this who is subject to the fall, who is subject to the fact that they are sinful. And when a friend goes at an awkward hour to ask for help, that individual will wake up, even though they obviously might give a few, a few complaints, they'll wake up finally and help their friend. The implication, how much more about God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. God who is full of goodness. God who is rich in mercy. How much more will he be able to supply our needs and especially, especially if we are genuinely concerned to pray for others. And that is the context in which the Lord Jesus Christ gives that parable. It is when we are concerned about others. Yes, we can pray for ourselves. But the example he gives in that parable is we are looking away from ourselves because we have someone who is close to us and they are in need and we want that need met. So we make all the necessary actions to meet that need. And the implication of the Lord Jesus Christ, if this is how human beings who are sinful, who are limited, will react, how much more the gracious God of heaven, how much more Will he be ready to hear us when we pray for our family members? When we pray for our leaders in the nation? 
like we read earlier in First Timothy in chapter 2, that we have been commanded to pray for our leaders, to pray for others, pray for those who do not know God, not just to castigate them and insult them and, 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 and call them all sorts of names. The Bible tells us we are to pray for them. God, who is rich in mercy, he is going to use those prayers, in answer to those prayers, to give us peace in the time in which you and I live so that the gospel will continue to make progress and that men and women will turn from sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the Bible says that this is good and acceptable to God that we live in a peaceable time and that his word will make progress. So, the Lord Jesus Christ here is teaching us we should not just be a people who are just concerned about our own personal needs. We should be a people who are concerned to pray for others. The reason why prayer has been given to us, it's a means that God uses to reach to other people as we pray for them. And this morning, I want to challenge you. Are you a person who is concerned about others enough to pray for them? Enough to lift them up before God that God would touch them, God would meet their needs, that God would save them. And I want to encourage you, if perhaps you've been praying for a family member who is still lost, not walking with Christ. I want to encourage you this morning from the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving us that you should continue to bring that matter before the Lord. And God's word tells us that the Lord himself will be pleased to answer you and to glorify his name by granting repentance and faith to that individual about whom you pray. This is the second P that we find in Luke chapter 11. The first P is the pattern. The second one is the parable. And then the third P that I want us to look at this morning is on the promises. This is what you find in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And the Lord Jesus Christ just restates everything to reassure us 
For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is seeking to do in those promises is to assure us that we as his children, all we need do is to make known our requests by asking. That's all that God is requiring of you. To bring your requests to God. To seek the face of God. To knock as it were at the doors of heaven. And God in grace will be able to do exceeding abundantly above what you ask or even think. But you need to bring before the Lord what your needs are. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. In other words, there must be a desire within your heart to talk to God. I recall, I'm sure you must have come across that statement yourself. I think, I can't remember who said it. It says, before we talk to men, about God. We must talk to God about men. That as Christians, this is the air that we must be breathing. Anything that is an issue in our lives or in the life of the church, we must bring to God. Unless you're providentially hindered. This is the reason why we must invite you for the prayer meeting on Saturday. Come ready to pray. Ready to pour your heart to the Father. Ready to make known your request before God. Why? Because God has said in his word to ask. Ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock the door will be opened to you. That's the promise of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. This is his word to you this morning. That you are to bring your requests and make them known to God. I think it's William Cowper who says that the reason why we don't have many testimonies as Christians to share about answered prayer is because we prefer more to complain to one another about the things that are going wrong rather than to complain to God what's going on. And he says, if we're the kind of people who bring our complaints to God in prayer, he says, very soon, we are going to have testimonies of what God is doing in answer to those prayers. And rather than complaining to one another, we will have reason 
to give thanks to God, to give praise to God, because we will say, you know what? This is what was happening last week. But see what the Lord has done for me. And that will be an encouragement. That will be a motivation to others that they bring whatever it is that are their requests and make them known. And finally, we have the last P, the parallel. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? There was a scorpion today here. And it was uh, Dusty brought a hammer for a scorpion. Anyway, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Once again, there we are, have that comparison from the lesser to the greater. You know what it says in the previous example in the parable? He went to that friend at midnight. It's uh, an, in, an awkward hour. And uh, somehow the friend will arise to give the need. Here he's saying, look, if you look at earthly fathers, how concerned they are about their children, especially when their children ask them for things. They go out of their way to make sure they can meet those requests. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is telling us is that in the same way in which you earthly fathers are keen to meet the needs, legitimate needs of your father, of your children, our heavenly father is even much more concerned about his people. And he says this in order to encourage us to be men women of prayer. He's saying these things so that we will be a people who are keen to come to the Lord and make our requests known. That we are not discouraged. That we are not despondent. That we do not fall prey to the sin of prayerlessness. We have every reason to come to God in prayer because God stands more than ready to bless us, to give us the blessing we need to seek him. Remember, in all these things, 
what is most important is our relationship with God. You see, some people get discouraged because they say, you know, I've been praying for many years and, you know, nothing has happened. So they get discouraged and they stop praying. Remember that undergirding all this is a relationship with God. What kind of relationship do you have with God? Is he just like one from whom you must get things? Or do you have a relationship in which you genuinely love God? Not just that you can get things from God, but that you genuinely love God. That because you love God, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what really happens in terms of what God gives me because I know that whatever happens is for my good, for his honor, and for his glory. That is what counts. God's honor, God's glory is paramount in my own life so that if there is something that I really want from God and for some reason he withholds it from me even when I've been praying for it for a long long time I know he is doing that not because he doesn't love me quite the opposite he is doing that because he knows what is good for me I mean, we're giving an example of a, a son asking something from the father. I'm sure that and if the father was a millionaire or a billionaire, if the son says, hey, he's a five-year-old, I want an aeroplane. And the father will say, fine, you probably have to wait a while because I will have to send you to school so you can learn how to fly that aeroplane until the time when you are ready, then I can buy it. It doesn't mean that the father said no. He said, wait. You do may need an aeroplane, but you're not ready to receive it. So remember, everything again is undergirded by that a relationship of love. God who loves his people and his people love him. And because they love him, they desire his honor and his glory. And in those areas, in those times when things happen that they do not understand, they know it is because he loves them that he has either given or not given what they seek. The Apostle Paul himself tells us the same thing, that as a servant of the Lord, he had that thorn in the flesh. And the Bible says that he earnestly prayed. Three times he asked of the Lord. And the Lord did not remove that thorn in the flesh. 
what the Lord said was, look, I think you need this because if I leave you alone, you might become subject to pride in order to keep you humble. That thorn in the flesh will remain. But I'll give you grace to bear that. Now the Apostle Paul was absolutely a man of faith. And there was no way he could have said no, I didn't get an answer because he did not get the answer that he sought. He agreed with the answer that God gave. At the end of the day, this is God's promise. And the promise is this. God will give his Holy Spirit to his people. And the Holy Spirit will give you the desires that God wants you to have so that once you bring those desires in prayer to God, you will be praying in keeping with God's will. God will be pleased to answer your prayer and to glorify his name in your life. So once again, I commend to you what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us in this passage. One, you must be a man and a woman of prayer. Two, remember the promises of God. And those promises are basically this. Ask, seek, knock. And finally, remember that God has promised to do abundantly above what you ask or even think. Indeed, that he will give the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you as you seek God in prayer. So after everything has been said and done, the question is this. Is there a desire in your heart to pray? That's the most important question in this whole passage. Do you have a desire to pray? to commune with God? Do you look forward to a time when you can gather with other Christians and seek God in prayer? If you have that desire, then this passage makes a lot of sense. But if not, I suggest that is prayer, that is where you probably need to begin to seek God that he might work in your heart a real, genuine, biblical desire to seek God in prayer. That's what you need. And may God, who is rich in mercy and in grace, work in your heart, open your heart, and cause you to see how prayer is primary in the life of a Christian. And may God himself cause you a man and a woman of prayer. May God cause this church to be full of men and women who are dedicated here and in their private lives dedicated to prayer. That is how 
we are going to grow from strength to strength. That is how we are going to glorify God in this city. That is how the gospel is going to spread. It is as we kneel in prayer and seek God. And he will answer according to his gracious promise. Ask, seek, knock. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Father, we thank you for these words that we have so read so often times. And yet even this morning, it has pleased you to remind us that we must be a people who come and ask, who come and seek, who come and knock. We ask our Father that you will work by your spirit in our hearts that desire, that genuine desire to seek you in prayer and to do so so that your name will be glorified in our lives. Hear us then, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.